Welcome, CTSNet friends. In the news uh, this week, we have a fabulous paper all about cardiac transplantation, debunking the myth that congenital heart disease patients do loads worse after transplantation. There's a fabulous article all about the fact that HIV, malaria and TB get 50% of global health funding, but cardiovascular diseases have five times more deaths. How unfair is that? An amazing article all about how balloon angioplasty can be used in chronic pulmonary thromboembolic disease rather than uh, surgery or as well as. We've got three fabulous videos, one on what you do with a degenerated mitral valve leaflet poking into the LV outflow tract, some great hints and tips about that. A second video on how to deal with a posterior mitral abscess using a patch from the anterior leaflet. We've got a great complex congenital operation, we've got news about EX, robotic courses and amazing stories from Tanzania. So watch the CTS podcast in full uh, for all the more news. Welcome CTSNet friends. Uh, so my name is Joel Dunning giving you this beat podcast from CTSNet. This is September 2023 and we aim to give you a nice roundup of all the news and everything that's interesting going on in the world of cardiothoracic surgery. So we've picked three uh, videos and three articles for you and I'm going to go through them just now. The first article is entitled Survival After Cardiac Transplantation in Adults with Single Ventricle Congenital Heart Disease. The reason for doing this is that there is quite a sort of feeling that uh, if you give a transplant to someone with congenital heart disease, especially univentricular heart, they're going to do much worse than somebody who hasn't had congenital heart disease. So uh, the authors, Syed uh, Bakhtia, Payman Ben Harash uh, and several others from uh, the Division of Cardiac Surgery uh, at UCLA Los Angeles have published this article in JAK, a very high impact journal, this month. They've done a really big analysis, 15 years, uh, 2005 to 2020, uh, of the nationwide inpatient uh, organ procurement and transplantation network data sets. They found themselves 382 heart transplant recipients that had congenital heart disease uh, and of them half of them had single ventricles and they compared them uh, to patients that didn't have congenital heart disease. So what did they find? Well compared to having uh, biventricular congenital heart disease the single hearts did have worse survival at a year. Uh, but you know, the difference wasn't massive, 80% versus 91%, 11% difference. I'd also say that that's, you know, pretty good uh, one year survival for these people with life-threatening heart disease. Uh, and then if we look at the 10 year survival, there is worse uh, outcomes. But again, how big and how big a difference is it? It's 54% versus 71% univentricular versus biventricular. So um, what, what do we think about that? So, so the difference isn't too big. Um, the authors basically are saying that, uh, that, that actually they don't have the worst outcome in the world. You know, this is pretty important for when you're listing people and when you're prioritizing people. We all know there's a shortage of organs for donation. Uh, but their article basically concludes with the idea that, uh, that these people should be eligible for heart transplantation and we shouldn't be uh, biasing against them too much. Remember, they are very young as well, uh, teenagers in their 20s. So, so I thought that was a really good article, really interesting, and in Jack's, so a very high impact. Well done to the authors there. 
The second article that we have chosen for you was actually chosen by Joe Chiqui, uh, Editor-in-Chief of the Annals, because this is in this month's Annals of Thoracic Surgery. Uh, this is by Dominic Vervoort and Kathleen Fenton, uh, and, uh, and they, they are from the University of Toronto uh, in Canada. And the title is Cardiac Surgery in Variable Resource Context, an Overly Ambitious or Long Overdue. So the whole point of this article is the fact that global health resources uh, donated to developing countries, 50% of that funding goes to HIV, AIDS, malaria and tuberculosis. Um, now, you might go, well, yeah, that's uh, they're the big killers. Uh, you know, let's let's pay for vaccines. Let's pay for these treatments. That's where our money needs to go in. But um, they, shocking to me, uh, say that cardiovascular diseases in those countries account for five times more deaths than HIV, malaria and TB now. Um, but only 2% of our global funding is going into those cardiovascular diseases. And when you talk about surgical treatment of those diseases, it's 1% of funding. So five times more deaths but 1% of funding compared to 50%. This is crazy. So they explore why this might be. They explore the stats, 18 million deaths per year in cardiovascular diseases, uh, which is five times more in those other. And they try and explore why that is. And really, it is a, just a big power balance between the funders. So there's been years and years of, of funding earmarked for those headline diseases and yet uh, surgical disease is someone with rheumatic mitral disease you know really unsexy no big charities uh, and they're not getting funded and what can we do about it great article really interesting and uh, we're going out to Ghana in November to try and do something about it and I hope maybe your units can do the same too well done and check that out in the annals of thoracic surgery the uh, next article we picked I thought was really interesting. Uh, this is the emerging role of balloon angioplasty in chronic thromboembolic pulmonary disease. Insights from the 2022 ESC guidelines. Um, this article uh, is by some Polish authors from the Department of Pulmonary Circulation and Thromboembolic Diseases. So, so they know a lot about chronic uh, thromboendarterectomy and pulmonary uh, disease. Marta Banakiewicz uh, and Simon de Rocha are, are two of the main authors, but there are many other authors besides. And this is published in the Journal of Clinical Medicine this month. Now, the things that, that stuck out for me were that uh, chronic thromboembolic pulmonary hypertension is found in 3% of people after a PE which I thought that's a lot, 30%, uh, sorry, 3% is one in 30 uh, of anybody that gets a P. I think that's really high. And, and then they looked into uh, the CTEF registry uh, and between 2007 and 2009, and they found that out of these people with uh, pulmonary hypertension from chronic thromboembolic disease, um, about half of them are surgically treatable. Now, I think we all know quite a lot about the surgic, surgical treatment, uh, pulmonary thromboendarterectomy, massive operation done in very few very specialist centres. In the UK, it's just done in Papworth with amazing outcomes, but still huge operation, circulatory arrest, six hours of operating. So, so it's not surprising, really, that only half of these patients are suitable uh, for surgery. And, uh, and the thing that I didn't really realise is that that uh, angioplasty has really been taking off. 
Um, so in the new ESC ERS guidelines, there's now a 2A recommendation for targeted uh, medical therapy and then uh, balloon angioplasty um, that uh, Rio Siguat uh, is the drug uh, that is most recommended, but Bacentan and several other drugs are recommended as well. And that there is a really now quite well walked path of how to do your angioplasty. Um, angioplasty also is quite new as well, really. It's only been going for about 15 years or so. Um, and, uh, and the first one was reported in 2001. Uh, there were quite a lot of uh, periprocedural complications and a 5% death rate. But this has got much, much better. It's been refined, especially in Japan. Uh, and now in 2020, in 2012, they show some really good multi-center results, mainly coming from Japan. And J the Japanese have reported 1,500 procedures uh, all being performed. So what do they do, really? Well, it's it's multi-procedural. Um, I found it fascinating. They initially use some quite small two and a half millimeter balloon catheters. Uh, they start off with what they call the airstrike. Um, one inflation for one lesion, uh, the priority uh, to, to get uh, wherever they can, no type C lesions, which are the subtotal occlusions, just get in there, airstrike, get some of the hypertension down. But then they'll do about four or five sessions after that uh, and they'll adjust the catheter diameter, they'll do multiple inflations, they'll do stage treatment, they'll do subtotal occlusions uh, and they'll basically keep going and keep going until they really get the pulmonary hypertension under control. So I was fascinated. I thought it was amazing. Um, I'm not aware that my own unit does do balloon angioplasty. So perhaps these are just in the very, very specialist centers, but, but really interesting uh, and really great to hear that there's more than just the massive operation available for these patients. So that was really interesting. Three great articles, I thought. Thank you to our Jans editors for submitting them. And uh, before I go on to the three videos we've chosen for you, uh, here's a few other things available on the website uh, from our CTSNet office. Next week, Joel will be broadcasting the beat live from the EAC's annual meeting. Tune in to CTSNet's YouTube channel at 1.30 p.m. UTC on Thursday, October 5th to hear Joel's thoughts on all the action happening in Vienna. And if you'll be at EAX next week, make sure to say hello to CTSNet at booth number 7. See you there! We've chosen three great videos for you this week. They're on the CTSNet website right now, so check them out if you're interested. The first one in particular addresses what to do in a nightmarish situation. You've got a pretty old person, uh, they've had a, a Briar's prosthetic mitral valve. It started to degenerate, it's stenotic, but it's poking into the LV outflow tract. Because you might think, well, let's just do a transcatheter valve in valve for this. But if that causes left ventricular outflow tract obstruction, that is a catastrophe. So what are you going to do about this? So this uh, this uh, uh, video is really, really good. It's by Luigi Pirelli uh, and Jacob Scheinerman. Uh, they're from Lenox Hill Hospital in New York in USA. And uh, the title of it is, is Balloon Valve Fracture and mitral valve in valve with surgical resection of the mitral prosthetic leaflets with something called mitral surplus. 
and, uh, and the surplus technique is surgical resection of the prosthetic valve leaflets under direct vision. So what they did is they had such a patient. They did some really nice pictures of the patient they've got. They've got a, prosth a prosthetic uh, biological leaflet valve that's all stenosed up. It's poking the outflow tract. You know, if you do a valve in valve, that could be very dangerous. So, so they do a minimally invasive approach. They put the patient on bypass. They um, do a right anterior uh, incision and they do fibrillatory rest so they don't need to cross clamp they're just going to do fibrillatory techniques so it's nice and quick um, they open up the left atrium and then they cut out the leaflets which you can see were really really calcified uh, they then balloon fracture uh, the uh, annulus of the bioprosthetic valve so that they can put a bigger valve into it which i thought was a really good idea and then they put a sapiens uh, transcatheter valve device in under direct vision and balloon that up. So what else could they have done? Well, they could have just tried to put uh, a, a TAVA in uh, and uh, and then suffered the worry about uh, left ventricular outflow tract obstruction. They could have try, tried a lampoon technique. The lampoon technique is trying to tear the anterior leaflet and make space so that there isn't that. But actually, they took out the leaflet and they tried to lampoon it in, a, in an in vitro situation. It was so calcified that it didn't work. Um, the other options are septal ablation to try and reduce uh, the size of the septum and then do a mitral valve in valve. But again, uh, this patient didn't have a big anterior uh, coronary vessel that they could do that with. So, so this seemed really good. It's a really nice video. It's really well explained and, and definitely should be in our armory for one of these difficult patients when you don't want to do a complete redo operation. Well done. Excellent video. Certainly very recommended. The next cardiac video that we have for you, uh, again, addresses a big, big problem. So what are you going to do if you've got a big annular abscess uh, in somebody that you would pretty much like to put a uh, mechanical valve in? And you're going to have to debride uh, the calcification on that uh, posterior annulus. You're going to threaten a big, huge hole uh, and, and maybe you need to patch it. Uh, well, this is a great idea. So it's called transposition of the anterior mitral leaflet as a patch for the posterior annular abscess and MAC debridement. This is by Mario Castillo-Sang and Joseph Conis from the St. Elizabeth Healthcare, Kentucky, USA. Um, they tell us that the use of a mitral uh, leaflet as a posterior patch has been reported in 1996 and there have been five reports that they could find but they've never really seen a video about it or any decent uh, images to guide people. So here it is. Uh, and the problem that they had was a 64-year-old, so pretty young. They had bacteremia. They had lots of emboli of strokes uh, from an infected foot ulcer. The echocardiography showed severe mitral and tricuspid regurgitation and a nasty vegetation with an abscess on that posterior uh, leaflet. Uh, so they did a, a port access endoscopic mitral valve replacement, and they were planning a repair of the tricuspid. Uh, but when they did the really good debridement of the posterior leaflet, they had to get rid of the calcium. Uh, otherwise, they couldn't have put their, uh, their mechanical valve in. And then really they were left with just, you know, nightmarish sort of big hole in the posterior uh, annulus. So what are you going to do? So they took out, uh, they cut 
the anterior leaflet, they cut it into two pieces and they show you beautifully a really nice job of basically using that as the patch. And so you're going to have the subvalvular apparatus still intact and it's a really nice patch to, to use as well. It's just the right size. Uh, I thought this was a great idea. Uh, it made a lot of sense uh, and, uh, and really helpful uh, in uh, dealing with this particular situation. Uh, they were also really, really honest. Uh, they honestly said uh, while they did all their stitches and tied up at the end, they said, I think in the future I would have tied them each one at a time to stop the massive, huge forest of uh, suture that they showed in the video. So very honest, really nice, really interesting. And again, one to log in your mind should you be faced with this uh, sometime in your career. The third video we've got for you is uh, from the Boston Children's Hospital and uh, certainly we should expect nothing less than this absolutely momentous operation. Uh, this has been narrated by Mujib Zubair uh, and was by, I believe, Christopher Baird from the Boston Children's Hospital and a wonderful video. So this is entitled Repair of Truncus Arteriosus with Interrupted Aortic Arch and Moderate to Severe Truncal Valve Regurgitation. This patient, is only six days old. They've got a truncus arteriosus, they've got interrupted aortic arch, they've got a VSD, they've got a patent ductus arteriosus and a PFO. And, uh, and basically their, their single truncal valve is regurgitating really, really badly. So what are you going to do? So they opened the only uh, blood vessel coming out of this heart, the truncal root. Uh, they saw a quadricuspid leaflet. Um, they took off uh, the left coronary button. They This allowed them to reduce the root down. Uh, they then tricuspidized uh, the leaflet. Uh, interestingly, they, tr they tested it. It was still regurgitating. Then they further uh, dealt with that with a few more sutures and then showed us how they then had a really good, brilliant, competent leaflet, uh, competent valve. Uh, they then stitched back on uh, the left coronary button. They then opened up the ventricle to stitch the VSD and then they did further um, uh, annular reduction sutures going from this uh, ventricular incision, uh, which I was really fascinated from. And then just as a warm down, uh, they did a pericardial patch to the annulus and re reconstructed completely the aortic arch uh, and, uh, and, and did a, uh, did a graft uh, from the right side of the heart as well. So obviously mammoth operations in a tiny kid, uh, absolutely fantastic. Uh, and really, really good technique in that root reconstruction, reducing the annulus size. And I heartily recommend you have a look if you're interested in congenital heart disease. Upcoming events. Well, we're all concentrating on EACT. I'll be in the plane uh, on Wednesday uh, going out there and we'll be creating, we'll be doing a whole load of interviews with the uh, most fantastic people we can find. If you're at EACT, come swing by the CTSnet uh, booth, uh, come and see me. I'll try and spend as much time as I can on the CTSnet booth. Maybe you've got a great video you want to show me or some ideas you've got for interacting with CTSnet. I would love to see you, obviously, October the 4th to the 7th. Uh, be there or be square. Um, the second thing you might want to check out going on very soon is that there is a virtual online course uh, transitioning from residency to being a consultant. It's on the EACTS uh, website. Uh, you can log on for it. It's free, so give that a go. 
And the third thing we've selected is robotic revascularization training from the 23rd to the 24th in uh, Leuven in Belgium. A full day of robotic mid-cab exposure and presentations. That's pretty unique. Um, uh, so that might be really interesting for you. And have a look at the show notes below to see if you'd like to register. Finally, uh, where is Diego, the world's roving thoracic surgeon? Uh, and Diego this week has been in Tanzania performing the first minimally invasive thoracic operations in that country. Two great uh, notoriety and aplomb in the Tanzanian press. There's been lots and lots of articles about his amazing uh, trips and the cases have been incredible. The most incredible was a 20 year old who 10 years ago had major thoracic injury, had a huge rib sticking right into the middle of her lung, which she'd had for 10 years that Diego fixed. He did an aspergilloma, he did a mediastinal tumour in a six-year-old, all minimally invasively. Congratulations, Diego. Amazing. And finally, our honourable mention goes to Patrick Perrier. He's the president of EAX, an amazing uh, surgeon. He was trained by Alan Carpentier. And then I'm sure a load of us know him for... Um, respect rather than resect his techniques for mitral repair that really have transformed a lot of the way we think about mitral um, reconstructions to create mitral repair. Obviously it's made minimum invasive mitral a lot easier using his techniques and also we must remember that he was some of the he was one of the godfathers improving how improving how repair is better than replacement uh, in our patients. So well done Patrick, I'm sure you're super busy uh, getting ready for your conference in Vienna and I hope I bump into you uh, and I hope I bump into all of you. Uh, we'll actually be doing this podcast from EAX next week so, uh, so do tune in for that. Uh, should be fascinating and thank you very much for watching all the way to the end. Uh, this has been me Joel Dunning uh, in our CTS Debbie podcast and I look forward to seeing you in Vienna next week. Thank you.